I want to invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Even though I want to focus in this morning on verses 4 and 5 of 1 Peter 2, I think we would do well to read the entire contextual section of Peter's main point in this portion of his letter. So if you will, look at me, look with me at verses 4 to 10 of 1 Peter 2. You follow along as I read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the Word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, this is one of the richest theology sections of Paul's first letter, with several important statements borrowed from the rich imagery of the Old Testament, the Apostle Peter wants to tell us who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. The beautiful picture which Peter paints for us here is that of believers in Christ being like a spiritual house, being constructed by and for God the Father with Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone of our spiritual dwelling. And even though there are a couple of different metaphors which are weaved in and through 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10, the predominant theme, the predominant metaphor is the metaphor of a house, a house that is being built up through what Jesus Christ Himself did on the cross. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit wants us to understand about how our Lord is either being used in believers' lives as a cornerstone of this spiritual house or of His being used as a stone of stumbling 
and as a rock of offense to those who reject Him as God's chief cornerstone. Our task this morning, while brief, is very clear. I want you to see two great realities of what Peter tells us about being a spiritual house. Two great statements that he makes, one in verse 4 and the other in verse 5, about what it means to be built up as a spiritual house for God. And I'm going to be able only to introduce these concepts this morning because, frankly, there is so much here for us to understand about our relationship to God through Christ. And at least initially, to understand the beginnings of these things, I want you to see these two great realities that he gives to us here in verses 4 and 5. Let me give you the first one. The first great reality is contained for us in verse 4, and it is this. All true believers, all true believers have at the initial point of their salvation and continue to have throughout their Christian life, Peter says, a coming to Him as a choice and precious living stone. I'll say that again because it's very, very important. Peter says, if you want to know about the community of believers, the body of Christ, the communion of saints, all of those who are presently living, who know Jesus Christ by faith, they have Him as Savior and Lord. We see Him, Peter says, as a spiritual house with Christ as the foundation stone. And we as believers, we come to Him by faith initially, we're saved, and in our sanctification, our holiness, we continue to come to Him because He is our choice and precious living stone. What's a shortened way to say that? Christ is our foundation stone and He's choice and precious to us. And that's why we've come to Him and continue to come to Him. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 4. And coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. What a great truth. This great reality gives us a framework, a word picture, a metaphor, an analogy for understanding who we are as the body of Christ, who we are as a fellowship of Christians. And I love the way the New Testament gives us these word pictures, gives us a metaphor for the understanding of the reality for which that metaphor conveys. We all know what it is to live in a house. We all know what it is to, to watch a house going up. We all know what it is to have a cornerstone in that house. We have one. It's just outside in our patio area. We put it specifically in full view. Ephesians 2.20, Christ is our cornerstone. When this building went up, we saw these bricks, we saw this steel, we saw this the structure coming up. 
And we wanted to make sure that we wouldn't lose the perspective that we needed to have. This is a house built for God by God's people with God through Christ being seen as the chief corner stone. That's Peter's metaphor. That's what he's telling us. And it's vitally important for us as believers to see this metaphor, to understand who we are as a spiritual house, a body of believers, because Peter's going to tell us about this kind of house, stones, we would say bricks today, built up for the glory of God. And it's important because he's going to talk about this particular metaphor from verses 4 to 8. So in the next couple of times we have together, we're going to be consumed with the idea of the spiritual metaphor. That which is physical that depicts a spiritual reality. And the first one Peter wants us to know, he's communicating to us, is that true believers have and are continually having to come to Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, who is both God's and our choice and precious living stone. What's Peter saying? He's saying, I want you to understand this idea, which I believe the New American Standard Bible, which I'm using this morning, rightly translates, and coming to Him. You see that word, coming? It has an I-N-G after it. Not always in the New Testament, but many times, when a participle is being used, it'll have that I-N-G after it, telling us something very significant. It's, it's not just that we have Jesus Christ as a living stone, the foundation of our faith when we first came to Him, but we are continually coming to Him. We came to Him at salvation and we continue to come to Him. That's why the New American Standard rightly translated, translates it, and coming to Him. That particular word, proserchomai, very, very important. It means, you can't see it there, because in the English text, all it's saying is, and coming to Him. It sounds a little deadpan. It sounds like it doesn't mean much. Uh, someone who's just coming. Almost as though you're strolling toward Christ. It's not that at all. Proserchomai is a great word. It's, it's talking about drawing near to God. It's talking about approaching the God of the universe. It's, it's talking about coming to Him with a level of intimacy, drawing to Him in repentance and faith, and then continually drawing unto Him for our sustenance, for our bread, for our nourishment. That's what He's saying. And this particular participle here, coming to Him, is linked as a participle to the main verb of verse 5, and that is this, our being built up. You could translate it like this if you combine the ter first two verses. And coming to Him, you also are being built up. You're continually being built up because you are continually coming to Him. You see? That's what he's saying. This is a spiritual house with a foundation laid, which is Jesus Christ and none other, with Christ also in this metaphor being the chief cornerstone. And as this house is going up, we're living stones, as he says in verse 5. We're also a part of the building process. 
We're also those bricks that are going up. Each individual Christian is like a, an individual stone. And as living stones, we're all continually being built up, edified, encouraged, matured as a spiritual house. You say, how in the world did you see all that in one verse? Well, it's there. It's there if you just dig for it. If you just work at mining out all of its treasure. That's why we go slow here at the Bible Church of Little Rock. Slow is better. Slow is deeper. Slow allows us to plumb the depths. And that's what Pros Erkamai does. It's not just a word that says coming. It's talking about approaching God, drawing near to God, being being a person who is drawn near to God by God. That's the sense of it. To approach, to draw near, which is to say that someone is coming to God in worship and praise. You understand that's what we just did? Pros Erkamai. That's what we just did. We were approaching God. That, that wasn't just the preamble to preaching. Preaching itself is worship, but all that we did that preceded the preaching is also worship. We're approaching God. We're drawing near to God. By the way, this particular word, pros archimai, used in the Septuagint, which I have told you before is that Greek translation of the Old Testament, not inspired itself, not inerrant, but it's very, very important because it's often the translation of the Old Testament that even apparently some of the Bible writers themselves used to come up with their own words as they wrote the New Testament. So it's very, very important. And this particular word, proserchomai, it's mentioned in the Septuagint to refer to some of those Old Testament sacrifices where someone would draw near to God with his offering, you see? Someone was approaching God with his sacrifice. He was saying, God, I'm approaching you. I'm drawing near to you because I'm bringing my offering before you. I'm bring, bringing this slain animal that shows you that I'm serious about my worship. I'm serious about my sin. I want you to know, God, that, that I come to you. I draw near to you. I know my sin is great. It's ever before me. And whether or not you're an Old Testament worshiper or a New Testament worshiper, you want to draw near to Him. You want to approach God. By the way, it's used also in the book of Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to show you some of these wonderful realities about our being drawn to God. In the book of Hebrews, there's really a technical use of this particular word, proserchomai, sort of a special word that the writer to, to the book of Hebrews wants to use when he talks about salvation and sanctification. That's why it's so special. It's not just approaching some person, it's approaching God. And it's either in the book of Hebrews talking about approaching God in the matter of salvation or drawing near to God in the matter of our sanctification. Now, sometimes, of course, it's used to refer to those Old Testament sacrifices and how someone was offering or drawing near to God with their offering. But when it's talking about us, when it's talking about our need to draw near to Christ, it often uses proserchomai. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, our confession of Christ as the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Notice verse 16, Therefore, let us draw near, proserchomai, let us approach with confidence to the throne of grace, God's grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That, that word, draw near, that phrase, that's proserchomai, that's approaching God with confidence, it says, to the throne of grace. That's what Christians do. We, we can approach God now the very throne room of God, on the basis of the redemptive work of Christ, with confidence, he says, going through a trial, going through a test, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. So much so that he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, we can, with confidence to the throne of grace, approach God. That's an amazing thing. I'm a sinner filled with sin. And yet, I can approach the sinless one. I can approach the God of the universe. And I can do it, he says, with confidence. I can go right to the very throne room of God. You and I know of all the examples, Isaiah being one of them, the Apostle John being another, where we see them fall down, prostrate before the Lord because of His awesome holiness. And yet here the writer to Hebrews says, you can proserchomai, draw near, approach, even with confidence to do what? To receive mercy. To find grace to help in time of need. You don't need grace to help in time of need, do you? Anybody... Anybody need grace to help in time of need? I need it. I need it all the time. I need it more than I ask for it. I need it far more than I ask for it. It's there. You can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, he says. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Another use of proserchomai. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God, those who approach God through Him, through Christ, since He always lives to make intercession for them. You see, that's why Peter says, and coming to Him, and continually coming to Him. Why? So that you can find grace to help in time of need. So that you can draw near to God through Christ, since Christ ever lives to make intercession for them. Who's them? Our spiritual house? Us. Do you realize that the spiritual house is sustained from its foundation through every brick and mortar because Jesus Christ is interceding for us even as I'm preaching? Right now. He's praying for me as I preach. Pretty good prayer warrior, wouldn't you say? He's praying, he's interceding, because we have the opportunity through his death to approach God, to draw near coming to Christ. That's why I don't 
In any sense, am I ashamed to say, come to Christ, coming to Christ, come to receive Christ, draw near to Christ, approach Christ. All of those are biblical ideas, coming to Christ. Yes, it's true that Christ comes to us. Yes, it's true that He opens up our blind eyes. Yes, all of that's true, but it's also our drawing near to Him. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Prosercomai. Those who approach God. You can't really be eternally saved by offering up the same sacrifices year by year. What do you need? You need Christ. You need the substance. You have to put away the shadow and you have to have the very form of things. And you do through Christ. Verse 22 of chapter 10. He says, therefore, let us draw near. Let us approach with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, it isn't sacrifice. It isn't the sacrificial system. It's having a clean conscience. It's being washed thoroughly by the Holy Spirit through the sprinkling of the water with the Word of the living God. You want to know how important proserchomai is? Hebrews 11.6, you know it well. And without faith... It is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who proserchomai, those who draw near, those who approach, those who seek. God will give salvation to those who draw near through Christ. You see, Peter is showing us that we initially come and we continue to draw near to Jesus. What a truth. And as we draw near, as we continually come, this spiritual house is being continually built. It's never finished until glory, and it's just growing to the manifold grace and glory of God, the spiritual house, your maturity, my maturity, your exhortation, my exhortation, your encouragement, my encouragement, your confession of sin, my confession of sin, always and forever being built up as a spiritual house. And how does Peter describe the person of Christ there in 1 Peter 2, 4? He says, and coming to Him as a living stone. What a truth. Not some inanimate object, not some dead piece of concrete, not some rock. He says, a living stone, a living stone. That's who Christ is. Peter, he knows about this. He knows about this very well. You remember when he was imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit from on high at Pentecost and he preached and he preached powerfully? And in Acts chapter 4... Notice what he says, verse 5, or at least what is said about him as he preaches. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Can you see all that Old Testament flavor coming through? When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, the very writer of that epistle, 
for which we're studying, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, you remember they healed a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. It wasn't us. It wasn't something we did. It was the power of God from Christ through us to Him. His name. And notice verse 11. He, Christ, Jesus the Messiah, our Savior, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief corner stone. Peter knows what he's talking about, First Peter 2. Preach Christ. Christ is that stone. He's that living stone. You see, the metaphor of an inanimate object, a stone, something that would be very familiar. And believe you me, if you've ever been in Israel like I have, you see a lot of stones, a lot of rocks. It's, a, it's a, an agrarian environment in many ways, and it's a Mediterranean culture, and so it has little rain and a lot of rocks. And he says, Jesus Christ is the chief corner stone. He is to you as a living stone. And then that great statement, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That is Christ, Jesus the Nazarene. Peter knows exactly who he's referring to in 1 Peter 2.4 and coming to him as a living stone. He says, which was rejected by men. But his choice and precious in the sight of God. Although he is rejected by men, Peter says he isn't rejected by God the Father. Aren't you glad of that? Even though men reject Christ, he was not rejected by God the Father. You know what Peter's really saying? He's saying, for God the Father, from God the Father's perspective, Christ is his choice and precious living stone. Anyone in the universe, He is my choice and precious stone. In my sight, God says. In my sight, it's Christ. He's choice. He's precious. For some, He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, rejected by men. For others, for God the Father Himself, and that's good enough for me, he is choice and precious. He's a living stone. Not a dead Savior. Not some inanimate rock. He is a living Savior. And I think by that, he's probably referring to a number of things, none the least of which is this. Security. A foundation stone. God's rock. God's sustaining power. God's spiritual dwelling. Can you see it there in the metaphor, spiritual house, Christ being the foundation stone, Christ being the chief cornerstone, Christ being the living stone? He is for us the spiritual dwelling that gives us our rock-hard security. He'll never fail us. 
We can count on Him. Our house won't be blown away by no spiritual tornado, no spiritual hurricane, no spiritual devastation, never, no, not once at any time. We as believers in Christ, the Bible Church of Little Rock, we're like living stones and we are set from the chief cornerstone Himself. Rejected by men, but not in the sight of God. When God the Father looks at Christ, He says, You're my choice. You're my choice. You're my precious living stone. I just love it when God the Father talks to or about Christ and calls Him precious. Precious. Choice. Is that the way you talk about Christ? Is He precious to you? Is He choice to you? Or do you talk about Him like Matthew 21, Jesus giving a parable, said to the religious leaders, Did you never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's precious. Same idea, same. Same concept. God is marvelous because He's come to us in Christ. He's precious to us. He's our chief cornerstone. And Jesus went on to tell those religious leaders, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it, producing a spiritual house. The ones who are being built up and the ones who are building and the spiritual house is rising and the superstructure is going up and God is pleased because Christ is the cornerstone, He's the living stone, and it's not a house that is going to be blown away by false teaching and by religious leaders who are charlatans in the making. That's not the kind of house He's building. Verse 44 of Matthew 21, And he who falls on this stone, Christ referring to Himself, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. If you don't believe in Christ, if you don't submit your will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ one day for you, and it may be from five minutes you're alive to five minutes you're dead. And it could be that the stone breaks you to pieces. And on whomever that stone, the stone which the builders are rejecting, Jesus says when that stone falls it will scatter them like dust. Disintegrating them into little particles of dust. It's a picture of judgment. Did they get the picture? Did the religious leaders respond? Verse 45, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard His parables, they understood that He was speaking about them. So what's the next response? Repent! Cry out to God! Call upon Him for mercy. You, you mean, Jesus, that parable is about me? You, you mean to say that, that you're speaking about me and that the stone, the stone of God, the, the stone that lays in Zion, the, the chief cornerstone, the living stone, that it's going to fall on me and break me into pieces and I'm going to disintegrate like dust? I better repent. Verse 46, when they sought to seize Him, you don't have to go any further. When they sought to seize Him, after He said what He said, after what He said to them directly, and they sought to seize Him, 
How about, and they sought to repent? And they, they, they sought to be contrite. And they sought to, to believe in Him who is the rewarder of those who seek Him. No. But you know what? If you're a believer today, this is what you do. 1 Peter 2.7 This precious value then is for you who believe. Is he the stone which the builder rejected, you being the builder? Or is he the precious value, precious commodity? Is that what he is to you? For God he is. For God the Father, Christ is precious. What does he say about him? This is my beloved son. I love him. I love him. This is my beloved son. Son, you know where Peter's likely borrowing explicitly in some cases some of this metaphor? Isaiah 28.6. You don't have to... 28.16. You don't have to turn there. Listen to this. Isaiah 28.16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone, don't miss that, a costly cornerstone for the foundation. I'm seeking one in whom the foundation can be laid, firmly placed, and then this, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. Will not be disappointed. Not disturbed. That's what Christ is to those who believe. He's precious. This precious value, is He precious to you? This is what Thomas Vincent said as we close in his wonderful book, The True Christian's Love to the Unseen Christ. This is what he says. True Christians are differenced and distinguished not only from all heathens and infidels, but also from all bare nominal Christians by their love to Jesus Christ. It is the property of covetous persons to love worldly wealth and riches. It is the property of ambitious persons to love worldly honor and dignities. It is the property of voluptuous persons to love sensual pleasures and delights. And it is the property of true Christians to love Jesus Christ, whom they have never seen. None but such as are true Christians love Christ. And all those that are true Christians love Him. The loveliness of Christ appears not to the eye of sense, but to the eye of faith. They who do not see Him with this eye cannot love Him. And they who see Him with this eye cannot choose but to love Him. Such as do not love Christ, it is not because Christ lacks beauty, but because they are blind. Now all true Christians have this eye of faith to discern Christ's excellencies, and none but true Christians have this eye. The essence of Christianity consists in believing. Reason makes us men, but faith makes us true Christians. It being, therefore, the property of true Christians to believe, it is their property also to love this unseen Christ. Do you love this Christ? Is that who you love? True Christians love Him. True Christians see Him as the ultimate value. 
You hear this testimony tonight of Dr. Daniel Wong, and you hear about his parents, and you hear about his siblings, and you hear what they did to stand in their love to the unseen Christ. You know what precious value He is to them. And by the way, if if God the Father is satisfied with Christ, why can't we be satisfied with Him? If He satisfies God... Why wouldn't he be satisfactory to us? Jeremiah Burroughs wrote in his book, The Saint's Treasury, God the Father is infinitely satisfied in Christ. He is all in all to Him. Surely if Christ is an object sufficient for the satisfaction of the Father, much more than is He an object sufficient for the satisfaction of any soul. You're one of those souls. I'm one of those souls. He's sufficient for me. And one of the reasons is because He's sufficient to God the Father. He's choice and precious. I trust He is for you too. Let's pray together. I ask you again this morning... Is He the satisfaction of your soul? If you're a Christian, you're saying in your heart, yes, He is. If you're a true Christian, you're saying, yes, He is. He's my living stone. And because He's precious to God the Father, He's choice and precious to me. But if He isn't truly choice and precious to you, then He isn't your living stone. He isn't your foundation stone. And you aren't a part of the the spiritual house. As you sit right now, you're one of those building rejectors, rejecting the stone. Oh, don't do it. Don't reject the stone. Don't say no to the chief cornerstone. Don't do it. Ask God to open your eyes. And and if that's the plea of your heart, that, that could very well be that God has begun to do it and that you're seeing now for the first time ever that Christ is choice, choice and precious. Oh, if that is you, Believe in Christ. Believe in the one whom you've never seen. Believe that He died. Believe that He died for sinners. Believe that He died for a sinner like you. Believe that He was in a tomb for three days and believe that God Himself raised Him from the dead to give us the confidence to draw near to approach God and say, Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. Believe in Christ. Believe that He's the Son of God. Believe that He rose from the dead. Believe that He has ascended to God. Believe that He is coming again. Believe with the eye of faith. Don't delay. Don't leave from this place. See Christ for who He is. Respond to Him now 
Ask Him to be your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer. Oh, Christian, if you're here and you say Christ is precious to me, but I've seen Him in a new way today. I've seen Him in a new light. Christ is is precious to me right now more than He was when I came into this place. Confess to God. Thank God. Praise God that He's given you a a greater glimpse of Christ. Oh Lord, I pray for those who could be driving a car, having a meal, walking a street, sitting in a chair, and who would at one moment be rejecting Christ and then could in a moment be standing before that same Christ. Believe in Him. And thank God that you can be a part of living stones being built up in a spiritual house for the glory of Christ. Amen.